Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. No, what? I can't stop about this last night. And he said, happiness is egg-shaped. Wait, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped, and I am smiling like a small child because I am so excited for today's guest. I feel like I know him, and we've never met until just a few minutes ago when he dialed in. Social media does that to you. You feel like you know them. You feel like you're connected that actually you've never been in the same space. But he is a man with huge enthusiasm for the game. It's infectious. I love to see what he gets up to. I love his positivity. And he is all over it. He's also in a great part of the world where the game is only going to get bigger if it hasn't already exploded. So let's waste no more time and bring in the one and the only, the incredibly handsome Dallin Stanford. Thanks so much, Bruce. Great to be here, pal. I love it. I'm so happy. And as we were just saying, although you can't tell, you're actually nine days older than me. (laughs) Exactly. It must be it must be because you shaved your hair yesterday, and that's why it looks so sleek and clean. In Um, Scotland, we have a saying that you must have had an easy paper round. So it means explain that. When I was a kid, I had a paper round delivering newspapers, but it was all uphill and it was hard work and it was in the wind and the rain. You you had an easier distribution route, shall we say. I love that saying. I'm going to use that. That's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, I had a a tough paper round when I was a lad. Moved out during the pandemic. She has family just across the border in Massachusetts. So we're there for a little while. Um, But before that, I lived in Los Angeles for about 15 years. And then we're in Austin, Texas for, for four years. My wife went to grad school there. But uh, but being in America since about 2003, came on a holiday and uh, still, still enjoying it. It came on a holiday. So was was a rugby ball involved in that holiday or was it genuinely to have sun, sea and sand? 
It, it, you're so right. It was it was absolutely rugby. I'd finished university in Cape Town, South Africa, and a friend of mine was living in Los Angeles, and there was a South African rugby coach that was coaching a team uh, called the Occidental Old Boys, and they were like a Division Two side. And he said, listen, I need a few extra players and, you know, would you want to come across? And so, yeah, I came across in 2003 for a six-month uh, visa and enjoyed it so much that got me to come back uh, for another two-year stint. And in that two-year stint, I met my current wife. Fell in love and the rest is yes. history. Yes, exactly. Funny how life changes so quickly, right? Yeah. And South Africans, I mean, you guys are like water. You get into every rugby crack on the planet. Uh, you know, you, you have suitcase and boots and will travel. What was it that drew you to America? Was it just easy because you got a call? Well, so I, I when I finished high school, there was a program with a lot of schools in South Africa at the time to spend a gap year in, in the UK. And so I had people that did it at my school in Rondebosch in, in, in Cape Town. And so I was like, I would love to do that in between, you know, high school and college. Uh, you know, that was a perfect opportunity to spend a whole year. So I went to the southwest of England. I was in Devon, had a wonderful time uh, at, a, at a high school. I was coaching sport, working in the boarding house and things like that. So I kind of felt like this was a perfect opportunity to explore the world and then travel Europe. Right. So I did that. When I came back and went to university, all my friends had failed. So they were, I was in the same year as them. So I was like, okay, well, this, I'd like to do this after university too, spend a year somewhere and then start, you know, getting into the working world. Um, and so that year was America and in the end, um, enjoyed it so much. And the opportunities were there. That's the thing, as you said about rugby boots, having your boots compared to playing any other American sport, it gives you access to the world uh, and, and friends and, you know, connections and jobs. And so straight away from the get-go, they sorted me out and I had 30 new rugby friends um, and then I had a new wife. <laughs> just, just as an aside, I had friends and a wife. And it's, I mean, I, I've been able to use rugby. I've got no caps, I've got no medals, but I've been able to use rugby as a mechanism to see places and meet people. You can't possibly have had any idea what you were going to from South Africa a rugby environment where you know you played in high school the springboks were your heroes to then go to america like how did you find that it's like discovering a new world isn't it yeah so so the funny thing is i didn't really know much about american rugby at all i had i i do remember one clear moment it was the world cup let's see so would have been like 99 world cup where the usa you know played fiji or somebody and this laugh mike mike hooker threw a really good dummy sliced through and he scored an excellent try and then he nailed the sideline conversion um but they still i think lost by one point or something like that but either way i was like oh, okay so they play a, a bit of rugby there that's great that was my first real exposure to the u.s uh, eagles todd clever was the poster boy for the sevens at the time and i remember seeing him a bit here and there um he hated to uh, to throw a big dive or smash somebody in the tackle so his name for sure i knew and so you know, but the club rugby scene, I didn't know. And I didn't know what the level was like. And so when I played 15s in the US, it, it was a bit of a mixed bag. But playing sevens in the summer, that was where I fell, re fell in love with the sport because they would travel around to tournaments in California all over. San Diego, um, we were in Santa Barbara, Las Vegas, we went to an event. Um, so it was, it was so much fun. And there were a lot of good players. Each team had obviously some very good American players and then a couple of funny talkers. And so that's kind of where you measured yourself. You're like, okay, which funny talkers did they have? A couple of Kiwis, <laughs> some South Africans. Yeah, so it, it was real, a real eye-opener. And I really loved sevens from my U.S. stint, where in South Africa – then the traditional focus was 15s once a year you'd play in a sevens tournament um, and while i loved that one tournament a year it was such a brief fleeting moment right so it kind of like sparked my love for for the game of sevens actually uh, coming to the us and the americans love sevens don't they because there's a bit of space 
the technicality of the set piece is, is a bit more reduced and, and they're able to use those physical attributes that they've got in abundance. Absolutely. And, and you noticed, you know, when Mike Friday took over the U.S. Eagles uh, a role, how, you know, a couple of crossover athletes can make a massive difference in sevens. And, and also, also, I feel like the world of 15s is, is so, um, so, so, so well funded for the, for the bigger nations that it's very tough to compete for some of the emerging nations. And so when you go to Rugby World Cup outside of Japan, that was a remarkable time when Japan did so well. You don't really see a side that is not ranked in the top 10 beating a top 10 side. It doesn't really happen that much. Where in sevens, you have Spain beating New Zealand. You won't have that in 15s in our lifetime, right? So things like that, I think, is so exciting about the game of sevens. And then you're right. Like my father-in-law, he's um, he's he's from uh, the Boston area. So he watches sevens for the first time, and he's enthralled. He's loving it because he can understand mostly what's going on. I mean, people just picking up, running, and scoring. With 15s, he's like, I have no idea what you guys are doing. You keep lifting people up. You keep putting the bodies together. When can you pick it up? So it's sevens is, is is more palatable and the fact that it's in the olympic games is obviously key for growth here in america yeah i i went to play in america as we were discussing backstage and it was an amazing thing because i was a kid i was 20 years old but i had started playing rugby at 11 so as a rugby player i was nine years old i was playing rugby with guys who were in their late 20s and, th- and they'd played for a season but their enthusiasm was off the chart like properly ready to absorb everything and anything i love that need and desire to learn and improve you must have found that from the american players yes a hundred percent and for them there was just such a I suppose they were just so excited that we were all coming over to play rugby here and, and help grow the game. But as you said, the the fact that you have a, a lot of local people driving the game and the youth programs actually were surprisingly massive. Like in San Diego, going to visit there, thousands of kids, young girls and boys are playing rugby coached by either American uh, uh, folks that, you know, their parent, their kids were playing, or they were played overseas some, at some point, or a bunch of foreigners. Like you said, there were a few Australians here, a few South Africans there, a few Kiwis there that have now emigrated and are American citizens and are helping drive the sport. And you're right. I think that is where, when, when World Rugby decided, you know what, we eventually need to bring the Rugby World Cup to America. There are so many youth programs and so many people in the community that love the sport and drive it forward. Uh, it, it really is fantastic. And for me, you're right. I was, you know, player coach, if you will. I, I, I played in the back line primarily, obviously, in South Africa. And so uh, it was really nice to work with all these young players coming through. And, and the amazing thing is how quickly they caught on to it. And because they were so fast and had some physical attributes, you know, I'd, I'd never really been in the gym much in South Africa. And again, that's not a regular South African. That was just me being an English fast talker that would talk my way out of the gym, as opposed to the Afrikaners <laughs> that would lift anything and everything. So it was really cool to see how they picked up the skills uh, and, uh, and and took to the game so fast. Now, you're, you're from South Africa. I'm from the Scottish borders. Both rugby is the number one game in town because of what's gone before the traditions the expectations the the language that you speak the school that you went to all of these things that create a perception you go to america it's not necessarily a blank sheet but there isn't maybe the baggage that comes with that and look at look at the women's team and women's sport they don't seem to be impacted by some of the barriers that maybe we have in this country or or in South Africa how refreshing was that for you because they wouldn't have had a clue who you were yeah yeah exactly and 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 you're so right so you mentioned some of the names like 
Um, they obviously knew the All Blacks. That, that's a thing. New Zealand was quite well known here. Um, but you're right. P people didn't really know uh, a lot of folks in the past. And then some some supporters, though, had watched, you know, previous World Cups and knew, knew some things. But again, rugby being fairly new here in the U.S. Um, but what I found most interesting was the, the, the development of the women's game. The women's game was far ahead of any women's rugby that I had seen. And again, I'd only been exposed to the South African uh, women's side of it, which was fairly new. So for me, that was fantastic. So when I came to a rugby practice, it'll be the men's practice and the women's practice going on, you know, before each other, after each other. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a women's team. Almost every team that I joined had an equal counterpart. So that was really fantastic. So, and many times you would co-coach both sides and they would help you, you would help them and type things. So I think that was where well, I knew where the U.S. Eagles had won the Women's World Cup in 91. And I wasn't surprised because of the, the enthusiasm, the skill set, the drive. Everybody's able to play. I know that growing up in South Africa, you know, I had a, I had a couple of friends and, and even on my, my mom's side, they were never able to play rugby. It wasn't an option. And so I think that was really exciting and really amazing. Um, but you're right. It pretty much is, is a clean slate. And, and this is the funny thing. We chat to most Americans that are newer to rugby. They first ask, why aren't we number one in the world? And, 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 <laughs> And and a legitimate question because in yeah. American sports and like at the US is the top you know top few in the world. So uh, in sevens, you know the US got there in 2019. The women's team ranked second in the world. The men's team second. For both sides, have won uh, titles uh, along the series. But in fifteens, I try to explain to them it is a lot harder. Like you grow up in another country that loves rugby and you play it when you were four years old, five years old, like you would American football year or basketball mm. or baseball, all those sports. So they kind of understand that. So I think it'll only take time for them to realize once they watch, like when New Zealand beat the US and the men, 100, 104 mm. to 14, they were like, oh, okay, we, we have a long way to go. And, and I think we're obviously on that path uh, at the moment. Yeah, that was that was a tough one and it had some negatives yeah. that came out of that. We might get into that. I'm going to tell you a story. When I came to America, I, it made me laugh because I, I played in the back lane. I played at, at fly half. I wore number 10 and yeah. they had a backs meeting one night at, at Todd Martin's house and we went to this house and it had a TV in the corner like a cinema I'd never seen it before and there's pizza boxes all over and the chairs are lined up lecture style and they have a flip chart and they're talking about the game and about playing and games that are coming up and they said right we we need some plays we need some backline plays and they said Bruce come forward so I've got the pen my mate who was playing in, in number eight is sat at the back just eating pizza like here we go this will be interesting <laughs> and i was talking about you know if we get to there let's just expect so don't have too many calls because we might not have the right people in it so as long as we're clear and i gave this lecture as a 20 year old naive rugby player about playing the game as you see it and they're kind of nodding away and they ask some questions and and then i finished and i said so is there any questions and and i'll never forget joe um joe vivenzo puts his hand up and goes but can you give us some backline plays? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they just wanted plays. You know, the guys yeah. from Gridiron who it's yeah. fourth and down. Here's what we call. Here's where I run. Here's what you do here. Did you find that? Did you find that a challenge or is that just because I had bored them? No, no, no. You, you were spot on. So I, I had two experiences. One is playing, you know, at a club level. But the, but the other is coaching. And coaching, I think that's where it came into play. So I coached at Occidental College. Uh, they, we, I played for their alumni team, right, something. 
Um, and so, you know, the playing side of things was okay because we had we had a, a few foreigners on our side. So, you know, we would draw up some moves. And you're right, the backs love any any kind of move you could do. But but the the better you got, as in we, we joined Belmont Shaw and stuff like that, you would play what you saw in front of you, right? As you said, heads up play, which is more familiar around the world. But coaching at college level, I had five or six football players that literally joined. And they were huge units. They were so fast. I'll never forget the first training. We, we're playing touch rugby. So I'm telling them, okay, so you've got to be onside. You can't run ahead of the ball type thing. They're like, fine. And the first pass comes to this huge guy. And he, and he literally doesn't even put his hands up. It just freaking hits him in the chest and goes to the ground. I'm like, okay, maybe he wasn't watching. The next, the next guy gets the ball. He, he, he tries to catch it. It like, obviously comes with all these fingers. I'm like, all right, guys. Like, so you have to put your hands up and you've got to catch it. It's a massive rugby ball. And they're like, oh, well, we've, we're playing the defensive side. We've never touched. We never touched the ball. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, not only got to get the game going, but they've never actually touched the, the ball. So, but but you're right. So they were more uh, uh, suited to saying, all right, at this time, at this thing, you're going to go there, and this is your role is going to be like to ruck, or you're going to you're going to catch the ball with two hands. You're not going to even look to pass, even if there's an eight man overlap. You just smash it up. And then I, I was coaching the back. So the backs, you're right. They're like, all right, we need our playbook. And I'm like, okay, I don't have a playbook for you. But I have like I'll do I'll give you three moves and or four moves and so we did that so we had we had a, actually a flyer from England so he was good he was able to you know get us downfield and and give a couple of passes and stuff like that but they love they love their moves but for me the whole thing to them I had to explain to them why are we doing the move because often they just want to do the move and I'm like yeah. listen you know you when you caught the ball there was no one in front of you you, you the heads up we said you go and score but you want to do the move just because that's what you're taught so. Um, it was a fine balance of explaining why you're trying to do something. The whole goal is to score tries, getting over the, over the line and putting it down. So, yeah, there, there were definitely been some funny moments. Uh, there was one, though, uh, um, not necessarily about the moves, but about, you know, translating from football or another sport to rugby. So I was at the USA 7th tryouts in San Diego, the Olympic Training Center. It's a beautiful kind of setting, but it's quite... Um, it's quite rural. There's like some bushes around the fields and there are rattlesnakes, by the way, in the bushes every now and again. So I, we had seen one before. One was near our, our sports bag. So we were a bit anxious about that. But anyway, so this guy, he probably runs 100 meters in like nine seconds. OK, so he gets the ball. He rounds everybody. And we're like, wow. Now I'm covering in, in sevens. I'm covering sweepers. So I'm coming back and he gets over the line. but He doesn't put the ball down. So it's a try. It's a tryout. Right. So I'm like, OK, well, I have to tackle him. So he's really close to the dead ball line. So I smoke him and he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, why are you attacking me? But we go into the bushes where the rattlesnakes are. And uh, obviously everyone's like, get the hell out of there. So I help him out of there. Uh, and coach comes running over. There's no snakes and that's all good. Uh, but he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you must put the ball down after you get over the line. He's like, oh, OK. So he never made that mistake again. Um, <laughs> It was Perry Baker, by the way. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't before his time. But yeah, so there was there was quite a bit of that, as you said, to kind of translate in eventually to get the players to realize that rugby is the reason why it's so amazing is that it's not scripted as as much as some yeah. of the other sports. Yeah. Well, the Albany Knickerbockers, where I played in upstate New York, I've seen them. That some of the boys have come over and they've watched games at Murrayfield, and I've meet up with them, and I've been to the states, and some of them say, "We still use those moves you gave us, man. We still <laughs> use them because they've not had any foreigner input since yeah. 2000, and they're still using yeah. them." I remember the first game I played, I ran a cut, and the referee gave a penalty against me for obstruction, and I was like, "Ref, you." But I gave him the ball, and it, but they, and it, I'll never forget. He said, "But they bought you, man. They bought you." And I said, "I know that's what they were supposed to do." But I just loved it, and I felt it was quite a refreshing thing to go somewhere where the enthusiasm was huge and the knowledge 
wasn't corrupted by yes yes previous experience and and it was a really nice thing and you went to you went to play opposition and the the familiarity and the rugby family that sort of third half was still mm. so important is that still there in america yeah it, it is and and I, I think that probably added to my enjoyment early on you know I'm, again i'm not saying south africa don't like a party afterwards for sure um but, but I think what was so great was there was always a, a little thing put on for both sides, which is cool. Like I said, it, you know, it could be pizza, it could be snacks uh, and a bunch of beers and things like that, which is really great. So uh, that was, that social element was very important. And then with the sevens, you know, that we experienced too, um, that was really great because you would go to a tournament and it would be an all-day tournament and then all the teams would come together, which is really cool too. So you really got to mix uh, and kind of enjoy that kind of social element. And, you know, I suppose even when you get to the professional side of things now with Major League Rugby, they still meet for a, for a meal, which is great. And you may have one or two beers as opposed to 20 beers back in the day, um, but you're still coming together and sharing a meal. And I think that tradition is vitally important for the game and the sport, because if you are trying to you know promote rugby and talk about its values and talk about all the things it brings, you then you need to live that as well. And so I, I really do think teams do a good job of that, which is great. Um, and, the, and the same thing with it, like, you know, the Sevens World Series, when when the back-to-back tournaments are done, you see the teams coming together. So I think it is alive and well all over. Look, I can't speak for the international 15-a-side game. You know, that's probably slightly different. But, yeah, coming coming to California, touring around, um, we certainly we certainly got up to got up to no good after, after a few jars and, uh, you know, trying to trying to lift cars and do the, the usual thing back in the day, you know? <laughs> Sounds a lot like the Scottish borders. You go to Jed Forest and you go to Hoik. You went to Santa Barbara and San Diego. It's the yes. same. Just yes, you had slightly exactly. more hours of daylight. Um, That's right. <laughs> when... Hello, my name is Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg-Shaped and I am here to tell you where you can get your Happiness is Egg-Shaped merchandise. Go to www.halbro.com and search for Happiness is Egg-Shaped in the stores. We've got it all. Umbrellas, snoots, hats, towels for when you eventually get to go on holiday to the beach or by the pool. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got all sorts going on there. Check it out. Get your Happiness is Egg-Shaped merchandise. You can get it all coloured up for your favourite team or for your country, get involved because you know, I know, everybody knows, happiness is egg-shaped. When did you realise I can actually, I can do pretty well here, I can get to the elite level here? When, was there a, was there a moment or what did someone come up and shoulder tap you and say, do you realise this opportunity is there for you? Yeah, so uh, it was kind of a, a cool progression. So I started with that team, the Occidental Old Boys, played Division Two 15s for a while. We had some really good players. Uh, and then our coach at the time, um, he realized, well, okay, we're getting better and better, but, you know, we kind of need a, a few more forwards. And we, you know, in the sevens game, we need a, a couple more b- b- backline players as well. So he merged us with the team out of Long Beach, California, called Belmont Shore. Now, Belmont Shore were one of the top teams in the country in the Super League competition. And uh, it was it was really great because we got to, you know our our better players got to mix up with their better players and so uh, we we had a really good good team in total um, and for me the kind of the full circle moment came when I was playing uh, center or fullback and Mike Herkus was playing flyoff Herkus was the guy I watched when I was a young South African yeah. at the World Cup uh, back in the day and I was like oh that's really cool like, this is the guy that played for the U.S. Eagles was their starting flyoff. And I remember his name. And so, you know, he, and, and he came to me and he was, and he, it was quite funny because he's like, 
good luck for the game. This is like it was a big deal. And I come from South Africa where I was like, you know, like we play in front of a lot of people and playing against some big names. And, you know, uh, Springbok players were running up opposite you, you know, and they would go on and do great things in the international stage. So, but it was great. It was really good to be amongst those players. And we had a good team. And uh, that year uh, in 2007, we won the national championship. And so it was kind of cool. I got to see, oh, some of the other teams that came, we played during the playoffs. And, and that was really great. But I necessarily didn't have aspirations to do take 15s to the next level. But when I was playing sevens, I felt more at home in the sevens field, being a smaller uh, player that, that could evade some some people. And so that for me was really great, the fact that they did so much sevens. And at the time when I was playing in the summer series, it was, um, I didn't realize that the U.S. had a competition called the Sweet 16, where the top 16 teams in the country for sevens got together. I knew the 15s did that, and we won one year, and that was great, you know, but so we would play this team called Riverside um, out of out of uh, uh, East LA, uh, Southeast LA, and they would beat us in every final of these different tournaments along the way. And they had some brilliant players. A lot of them were Fijian-born players, and you know, you know, you know, more more elusive than a politician, that sort of stuff, right? And so, but but every after every tournament, we're like, wow, we lost by a try or two tries, you know, close one, that sort of thing. Then the next day we play, uh, and this team was really good from San Diego called Ombak, Old Mission uh, Beach, and they were they've been perennial champions over the years. And we would play them. They had a lot of South Africans too, and they had Todd Clever and a few guys like that. So very exciting finals. We would maybe win one or two, but pre predominantly they would win by one score. I didn't realize that Riverside for two years went to the national championships and was number one in the country. Ombak followed that, and they were number one for a while as well. So eventually we qualified we realized that if you were the 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 initial was a top one then became top two sides you could go to this top 16 tournament so we went our first year and unbeaten in the pool stages against all these players that were capped us eagles i didn't know their names per se um, but i remember someone saying oh well they have four eagles they've got five eagles currently playing on the series um, but we you know we didn't know them so we we carried on playing um, we did get knocked out in the quarters but then went up and winning the rest of the day so we lost one game in the weekend uh, and so after that, I got a call from um, the U.S. national coach at the time, Al Caravelli. And I was lucky playing on a good side. I managed to, you know, score a lot of tries and, and kick some kicks. And so ended up being the top point scorer at the tournament, even though we didn't win. He said to me, listen, Dallin, I want you to come to try out for the USA 17. And I said, wow, uh, Al, that's a, an amazing honor. But as you can tell, I'm South African, uh, you know, so I'm probably not a, very much likely not eligible. And he said, well, you've been here for three years. You, you've married an American citizen. You're becoming an American citizen as well. So this is your new home. So, you know, if selected, you could represent the, the series uh, in 2007. And so I was like, wow, that would be a dream come true. I'd ne you know, never never uh, come close to making this arrogant seven side. The closest I came was uh, tackling Springbok coach Nick Mallett um, at a sports awards dinner. Uh, it was a pretty big hit, I'll say. Um, but anyway, that didn't get me selected. So, yeah, so I go to this trial. There's me and, and, and 60 other players from all over the country. And I will say Al Kirby did a really good job of scouting everybody that could be eligible. So we had Taku Nguenya there. Um, so Bob Wimborne player that we all know then later would round Brian Abrano at a Rugby World Cup. Um, obviously, Toddy Clever was there who I recognized him uh, and, and a handful of other players. So, yeah, eventually 12 of us got a chance to travel to Singapore and Bangkok as like a pre-tour. Um, and, you know, wearing the U.S. colors was just very weird, right? Surreal. I mean, I'd only been in America for three years. My accent's African, my heritage is African and that sort of stuff. And that's how I identified. Uh, but then, yeah, in 2007, I got a chance to represent the U.S. in the Sevens World Series. Um, and it was amazing because I kind of got like a second chance, to, which I always wanted to play international rugby. And Sevens was really the game I was after. And so to get that opportunity, I mean, that was a dream come true. I honestly couldn't believe it. I was like pinching myself. Here I am on this world stage, which I've always watched and supported. 
Um, but to actually play in that arena, uh, it, it was epic. And uh, I mean, I love that story, and it's it's perfect because you went just because you loved it and you were involved and you said yes because you loved it and you were passionate and then never really knowing what the reward was and then along it comes and you get the yeah. chance being able to travel i lived in hong kong for four years and was involved in the sevens in various different ways never got on the pitch because i'm slower than a fortnight in the jail but the <laughs> that just being in that environment and seeing that road show of team you're all in the same hotel you know, you know the physio from Samoa and you know the coach from Scotland and your best mate it plays for Canada and all those kind of nice little stories and sharing coffees. But it was very much a roadshow. You didn't get to necessarily experience all the places you travelled to. What was it like being in that environment? I mean, get, picking up on the kind of person you are, I can imagine you being enthusiastic and loving it and pinching yourself probably at yeah, times yeah. What, what was it like being a member of that circus that went from town to town yeah so it, it was it was pretty amazing so as a you know i was i, I got a chance to play later in life so i was about 27 years, years old when i made my first my, my debut and the cool thing was you know at that stage you know all of us had to have a day job right so you had to do something else to support yourself um, and i had the randomly the south african guy that was my coach james walker in la he had an, a computer business and the computer business had two offices, one in Aust Austin, Texas, and one in LA. And so at that time though, my wife got a, accepted to do a master's program in theater and fine arts uh, in Austin, Texas. So we moved there and I called James up and I said, Hey, listen, I'm in Austin. I know you have a com computer business. He's like, yeah, you can be a salesperson for me. Um, I'll teach you how to do it. And I was like, great. So that was my first job. So I have this rugby inspired job through, through my friend uh, over there. And because I know that Caravelli was like saying in the sevens, okay, you're going to be for the next, you know, six months, two weeks or three weeks every month. You're going to be with us for the sevens. And if you make the team, then you travel type thing. So you come out for a week's training to San Diego. You make the side, you travel for another two weeks. So you couldn't really do a real, real job because you were gone most of the time. And it wasn't, you know, the rugby was paying you $100 a day. So $100 a day is nothing. And you think about it like when you're competing at the Wellington Sevens in front of 40,000 people, the hot dog vendors are making more than you per day and you're in the entertainment, right? So it, it was it was bizarre. But for the time, it was obviously, you know, what needed to happen. For me, I was I was over the moon that somebody sending me a check to play rugby. You know, it was back then. It wasn't direct deposit. You actually got the check, right? So um, it, it was so that was firstly surreal. So the fact that, you know, you go across and uh, you know, you're put up in a hotel, you know, just to train with, at the Olympic Training Center. Michael Phelps was there one time we were there. So for me, as a, as a young athlete coming through, I just couldn't believe I'm at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in San Diego, Chula Vista. All these other athletes are there. You have all these meals made for you, good facilities. You know, everybody's there. But going on tour, that was a next level experience. World Rugby puts you up in these beautiful hotels around the world. You go to amazing places. My first tour was to Wellington. So I got to go to New Zealand. Um, which obviously is you know one of the homes of rugby as well. The Caketon, the Westpac Stadium. I'd watched the Hurricanes play there. I'd watched Sevens World Series events there. The party atmosphere then at the time before they moved it was was like Hong Kong, right? Um, people were there for the party, the dress up. The rugby was just a little sideshow, um, but it was so great because everything was so professional. You obviously had these team buses. Um, everything was buttoned down to the minutes and to the kind of the the setup. Training obviously was as professional as it got. Um, um, but match day was was a different experience. So it's great. It, I mean, I've been a fan before in Hong Kong and a few other events, but to run out there, it's like 
it's a weird feeling because you're there and it's like you almost feel like everyone's on top of you but they're not they're in their stadium but because you're like the spotlight shining on you so there's that's where the pressure comes where you know everybody's watching you and you're getting in your head and you're like well i got to do something right as opposed to being pretty calm and collected so you could tell if somebody is flustered because they'll they'll do something that they won't normally do you know um but i suppose at the end of the day you are playing rugby which is so fun and so amazing and yes there's some pressure that comes in here and there like we had some early games which we had a lead and then we lost those are disappointing um but I, I tell you that experience of being on the series talk about friends so i had a few friends that played for south africa so that was really cool playing against them being there on the series um brilliant plays you played against james o'connor came through at that time israel dag for new zealand uh, the honey badger was there for australia so all these names that are young players that you track through like those these players are going somewhere and then you got to see them represent the you know the 15s game later which was pretty fantastic but yeah it's it is funny because i'm on the series now a lot right for commentary so i get to experience like the fan side of it uh and then the playing side and then of course now in the broadcasting side so um yeah it, it's uh as you said, it was it's surreal. It still is because you get to see people and like Santi Gomez Cora. I played against him for Argentina, and now 15 years later, he coaches Argentina to win their first championship since when he played. And I was there both. I was a player when he played against, and then I interviewed him after the final. So we got to share that kind of memory and 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 history and a lot of emotion as well. You know, I I just love the enthusiasm you speak with. <laughs> there, I teed you up with this before we came on, before we hit record. I read a thing about you, and I'm so jealous of this. I would love someone to say this about me. Now, I'm not actually sure who it was that said it, but somebody said, you're an electric dude. How I love cool it. I love is it. that? I love it. And you are. Now, I can't, being Scottish, you can't say dude. You sound like an idiot if you say dude. Okay, yes, but yes. someone calling you an electric dude, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's coming through your enthusiasm. You almost feel, or I feel, it seems like you can't believe what you've had. You can't yes. believe the experience that you had. You you sound like you're very grateful for all of those opportunities. Absolutely, Bruce. And so growing up in South Africa, you know, as a as a young kid, you you know, you, you well, I did, and I know a lot of my friends. You you dreamt of playing for the Springboks. You dreamt of playing international sport. You dreamt of working in sports, right? Because it wasn't like I remember my dad said to me when I was studying at university. He said, "Dylan, you're so obsessed with rugby. You're so obsessed with sports." Um, if that doesn't happen, you must have something that you could do. And I was like, hey, that is good advice. You know, like I, you don't want to just put all your eggs in one basket type thing. So having a backup was always important. But the, the irony in the whole thing was that I would end up going and have been working in sports full time for 15 years. And my dad obviously couldn't couldn't be prouder when he was still alive. He got a chance to listen uh, to, uh, to me commentate on the Sevens World Series. And he was like, Darren, I don't know, because he's an accountant. He was like, I don't know how you are this freelance person that travels the world that is not behind it like because he was behind a desk for 50 years and and it was very rigid he goes i i so admire that you you're able to take every opportunity and again it's not me it's the it's the sport and the people around it i am just like so grateful and enthusiastic about it because i still can't believe every time we get to do something you love that is a dream right most people you know have to do something to support their families that they, they may not choose as their first choice they fell into it somehow or they were good at it so I am blessed beyond belief to be able to do something that I would generally, even if you didn't pay me to do, I'd still do it because I love it so much and it's amazing. So the fact that's what I'm saying, when I got paid to play rugby, I was like, someone's giving me a check to do, I, I, I love the sport as a 12 year old kid running around barefoot in South Africa playing touch rugby. I would play for hours on end. And if somebody said to me, you know, one day you're going to get paid to do this, I'd laugh at them saying, no one's going to pay me to play rugby, right? Or 
pay me to talk about rugby or, you know, interview people or do some fun stuff like that. So um, it really is unique. And the fact that, that rugby takes you places around the world, that I, I think is, the, is, Bruce, is one of the best things ever. I'll never forget, I got an opportunity as a 12-year-old kid, uh, my local team, Rondebosch, uh, under 13 side, we got a chance to go to Italy and go to international tour as a 12-year-old kid. That memory stuck with me the whole time going, we're playing rugby against other countries that play the same sport, have the same passion for it. We get hosted by these families. Uh, you know, my talent was terrible, so I didn't know what was going on there. But I got a chance to see see the world from that age. Whereas, you know, when chatting to my wife, she's like, oh, we, did, we didn't get a chance to travel internationally through, you know, she wasn't, she did field hockey and stuff like that. There was no tours the way that she was from. And the fact that to this day, you know, as, a, as somebody that's nine years older than you, uh, they can still travel, still travel around through, through the sport, just using rugby as your passport. Um, honestly, so grateful. And, and that's why I'm so excited about it because it's just, it's so great. And again, the values of the sport, I think that's the biggest thing I love. So in Los Angeles, when I lived there for a while, I got a chance to work with a, a nonprofit called Play Rugby USA, which yeah. is all about flag rugby for young boys and girls, uh, elementary, middle school and high school. And the parents that came to watch and, and got to kind of feel this team sport, they were blown away because a lot of the American sports focus on one star position, one star player, uh, and and the game is not level. Everybody's not equal on the field. Where rugby, of course, everybody's equal. Everybody's got to pull the flag because we had a non-contact version. Um, the girls are better than the boys because they listen to the instruction. Um, so that confidence builder as well. Oh, it was thrilling to watch. So this program went from uh, 50 kids to 5,000 kids in LA. Unbelievable. It's not unbelievable because you were yeah. part of it and you do yourself a disservice saying that it's the game and the people around. There there are a whole lot of people who are not doing what you're doing, but you're putting yourself in those positions and only good guys get those those opportunities. And and I love you have this. I I have I like to think I have the mentality, say yes and we'll we'll deal with the yeah. repercussions yeah. later. Let's go for it. You never know unless you give it a go. Yeah. And I love that freedom of spirit that you've just said that no i'm hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm going to go for this and we'll see what happens. And and I think, I think one of the big things, uh, and this is probably where um, as a young kid, I got lucky. Uh, I, I always had the belief that everything is going to work out for the for for the right reason or for 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 end result that you need to focus on the good part of it so for example like people are like oh that's very idealistic so let's say you you like one one bad thing happened to me when i was playing like i got injured and i, and I broke my thumb right so i was out of action for six months so in that situation that's a good testing one for me to test my own theory okay 
how do I see the good in this? And the good was, for example, oh, well, now I can catch up on my reading. Now I can focus a bit more on my homework because I ne neglected that because I was playing sport at the time. So focus on all the good things you can do when a bad situation happens. And so don't worry so much. Let's say you really hope that you got this job, um, but it didn't come about. That's okay. It doesn't matter. There's more things coming. So I think if you focus more on the positive side of things, which I've been a huge believer since a young kid, good things happen because you're only focusing on the good things. That's not to say you don't work hard because someone was like, oh, well, you just, you know, you hope you get this. No, I have a vision board. You know, I'd like to be this and this and this. And and you keep tweaking things to get better and better. Um, and as a broadcaster, I spend days on end prepping for like a single game to put myself in the best position. But, you know, as a, as a philosophy side of things, focus on the positive. Know that good things are happening. Always be friendly and nice to people, um, you know, just because you want to be treated that way as well. And you never know. Maybe you make a difference someone's day or down the line, you're so nice to them as well because you generally are nice that they return the favor because you're always looking to help people out. So I feel like you put that out there in the world. It's coming back, uh, you know, uh, at the same way. Amen. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. We're, we're, and our work here is done. See you later. See you later. Can, can we just, can we bottle you and then just spread it around? I love it, Dallin. You're an absolute inspiration. Now, I'm a great believer in it. We're products of our environment. Uh, there's a bit of nature, but I'm a huge believer in nurture. Who has been your mentors, inspirations, the people that made sure you got it done picked you up when you fell I'm, I'm guessing I, I could probably put a, my finger on a couple of people but who is it that that you thank for getting you to where you are yeah so uh, my, my mom and dad they would I mean they're just absolute legends unfortunately they're they aren't here right now but um, my my mom got uh, she got a chance to listen to the rugby world cup 2019 when she was still alive and, and I gave her a shout out to, uh, during the sevens world series because the, so you talk about infectious, my mom is like bottled up. She is the, was the most energetic person you've met. She played field hockey uh, for South Africa, like like one of their tours. She swam for the Free State a region in South Africa when she was younger. Um, she would she played rugby with the boys, but obviously wasn't allowed to officially. Um, but she smoked smoked some people and some big hits. Um, it, it, she has one liners like you've never seen. She taught Afrikaans for like thirty years. And so she would mix English and Afrikaans together in a, just a very funny, humorous way. Um, and she, her biggest move, so you're going to love this. So she meets Todd Clever for the first time. She comes to watch him play in the Sevens World Series. Todd Clever, who's like the poster boy of USA Rugby, huge guy. My mom's like, you know, five foot something. She goes up, she goes, Toddy, Toddy. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he, oh, this must be Dallin's mom. So my mom goes up for the high five and Todd's like, yeah. And then she pulls her hand away and says, oh, cramp in my neck. And Todd's just left hanging, just like that. Everyone's dying laughing around. She's like, they go like, I can't believe your mother just freaking shredded Todd Clever. Uh, so anyway, so that just kind of like, I suppose, tells you a brief story about like, she's always very funny, very humorous, um, just, just, a, just a great human being. Um, but through, through my father and her just being wonderful parents, they, they really shaped me to do the right thing and try be, you know, live life to, to its fullest, but also have the values that go along with it. I think that's kind of probably the biggest message I got from them. Um, they were, yeah, they, they were the best. Um, then obviously having good friends. And this is kind of like one thing I will say, which is, is a little bit sad living far away from your home country is that you do miss out on iconic moments with your best friends growing up, you know? So obviously with the Cape Town Sevens is on, I try to go back or I try to go back every year and to see them. Um, but I do feel like, I suppose, and that's the tricky thing, right? I got all these wonderful opportunities and, and new friends and a lot of brilliant things, but I really miss my high school friends, like guys I know since 11, 10 years old, uh, that we shared so many memories. So I try my best to make 
you know, memories with them when I can on, on different holidays, things like that. But, but again, they were very grounding and very down to earth. And I think that's kind of, the, those are the best people. And then of course, the last 18 years, my wife has been, you know, the other uh, brilliant motivating, not motivating factor, but just somebody that's always around, like, you know, making fun of me and, and making sure that, you know, I uh, continue to do the, the, the right thing in certain situations and stuff like that. So yeah, those people have been amazing. Your dad's an accountant. He's yeah. worked behind the desk for 50 years. And you yeah. say, Dad, I'm going to America to play rugby. See you. How, how does that reaction go down? Uh, it, 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 so you're so right. So where my mom's like, go and get him. Like, do every, anything you want, you know. Uh, my dad, you're right. So he was very conservative on the, on the side of things. And so, but, but, but at the same time, he knew that, okay. And this, I, I bet, I don't have kids, but I bet the hardest thing as a parent is, you, you, you know, you've worked so hard to mold and shape your kids to be the best kids they can be. And then, then eventually they're like, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go overseas. or I'm going to go do this. And so I never forget, there was a very, you know, very emotional time. I said goodbye to my parents. At the, they were, and I never made them off come to the airport after that, because they were dropping at the airport. And then I was like, guys, you got to go. But then they would come along and, you know, when they're waiting at the gate waving and you're going up the elevator and I was like, you know, I'm going for another year. I'm like, it was hard, very hard, you know? Um, but for my dad's side of things, bless him. He, um, he knew that I had a marketing and advertising background and I was using that actually in like, you know, some of the back then start of social media kind of era. Um, but I told him, listen, I've got a job through the rugby people. I'll be fine. Uh, initially I was waiting tables and he wasn't like enthused by that. I was, but, but I was like, Hey, I have to start somewhere. Uh, and, and actually, so this is where the story gets kind of like for uh, uh, a serendipitous. So the rugby club got me back for a two year stint uh, after I'd been there for six months. And they said to me, listen, Dallin, there's a um, one of our, our alumni work at Fox Soccer and there's a rugby channel. You can go and help and work there because we know you're interested in broadcasting or media or something like that. Um, and you can go and help and we'll give you a two year visa to work for that company. So I was over the moon, told my dad. He was like, oh, this is the best thing ever. You're going to be working a big time job. <laughs> so I get the visa and everything. And the day I arrive in America at LAX Airport, I get there and I call the rugby club. And guys, I am finally made it. I'm here. Let's get going. I get a real job. And they're like, Dallin, great news. You're here for two years. This is going to be fantastic. Bad news. Um, we uh, we don't have a job for you anymore. Uh, soccer has bought out the rugby channel. So that that job is not. So, so now I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do? So they're like, well, you know, we know you've, you know, we've got to give you some cash in hand money. You can go work at a restaurant. I'm like, oh, I just did the restaurant thing for like a year. But how funny is this? The, the, uh, the rugby coach I had, James Walker, his twin brother, Peter Walker, uh, was one of the owners of of the only South African bar in LA called the Springbok Bar and Grill. So the very first day I go there, and the person I meet up with there, I'm like, "Hi, uh, Verity, I'm Dallin. You got to train me how to do the stuff here to work in the restaurant." And that was my wife to be. Uh, she didn't know it at the time. She had a boyfriend, but I told my sister, "I think I've made my wife to be." So anyway, that's a side story, Bruce. But it, it like how funny and serendipitous it, it, everything works out in the end. It top top vibe. Um, and so, yeah, so my dad eventually was like, okay, fine. As long as you got a job, you're supporting yourself. Uh, and then when I started getting involved in rugby, like professionally and getting paid uh, to work in as a player and then eventually in media, um, he, he couldn't be, couldn't be proud. and couldn't be more thrilled. And, and obviously like he, they were, they loved their rugby. So when they tuned the sevens world series and they got to hear their son calling games, so having games as well for them, I assume that must have been, they got a lot of calls from their friends and family saying, well, it's so cool to hear you, you, you know, your son uh, throwing in a li- one liner or two. I just, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. Being, being a waiter in LA, you must have been with some yeah. future movie stars, where you yeah, not? Is that exactly. not what movie stars yeah, do as well? 
Exactly. Well, listen, if only I, I could recognize people, you know, like I, often I walk past someone in the midst like, oh, those, those. Okay, not like Bruce Willis, that I, I recognize him. But like, you know, the other actors that are, that are not as, as well known. Yeah, I've, I've come across a few in my time, but uh, forgot it was them, you know. Forgot it was them. I love it. And then when, when did rugby playing become sort of old news? When did you decide? Because that's always a difficult decision. Yeah, so so because I started later, you know, wasn't wasn't eligible and didn't know I could play for another country. I started twenty seven, which is quite you know late, particularly in the Sevens World Series. So when I got about twenty nine years old, you know, there were obviously a lot of younger Foster players coming through and stuff like that. So the coach uh, pulled me aside and said, "Okay, listen, you know, you um, I'm going to take you to the Rugby World Cup Sevens in Dubai, um, but after that, I'm going to get some of the younger guys coming through." There was a really good player, Shalom Sinuula, twenty three years of age, brilliant stepper. So I helped kind of, you know train up train up just in some of the moves and some of the experience I had at least to pass on uh, to these young guys coming through um, but I mean for me I was like wow I got a chance to play for three years in the series and then it was interesting because the US by the way we're not a core team so we got invited to four tournaments uh, the first year I played and we did really well we had a guy called Chris Wiles who'd go on to be a legend in the premiership in England for Saracens obviously US Eagles over 50 caps um, and then we were invited to six tournaments the following year and then the next year, we became a core team in my final year. So it was kind of like really fitting and, and fantastic to go out on that high, knowing that the U.S. was a core team. We qualified for the Sevens World Cup, played in it. Um, and so the, it, it was in a, a brilliant position. And so then then it was an easy segue for me to then work uh, in media straight after that, because I loved – I would always interview people, you know, with um, – with a little flip camera back in the day, I'd use my flip flop as a microphone. Um, but then eventually, US Rugby's like, "We'll give you a proper microphone. You can do this for real." Uh, so I, I, that's how I merged into then a media kind of role type thing. Um, even if it was only for a few tours, and I got to go to the Sevens World Cup in Russia with that, and uh, a few, a few of the other Sevens World Series events. Um, and that's kind of where I kind of fell in love with. Okay, I can use my marketing and advertising background and and, and degree like my father said I should get, and kind of put that into a work sense, you know. For the last six years, Fill Your Boots has been making rugby happen at the grassroots level. Please get involved and go to www.fybrugby.com to register your club or to register as a player and join the online community to make sure that games continue to happen in the future. Join in clubs with players and players with clubs to make sure that we can keep the club game as strong as possible. Fill Your Boots bringing rugby together. And when you watch, I, I love, uh, Sevens is so exciting as, uh, and there's lots to call and you've got time as someone sprints away to to throw in that one line and to get excited and, and your enthusiasm is just infectious and makes watching so much more enjoyable. Do you watch as a supporter? Do you watch as a professional commentator? Is it a mixture of both? There must be moments where you lose yourself. There must be moments where you're trying to think of something because it's so, there's nothing going on. As a coach, sometimes I still feel I'm a player. I move when there should be a something happens and I go on my tiptoes when it's a line out as if that's going to help them catch the ball. Do you watch like that? Uh, I suppose, yeah. So are you, are you saying when I'm commentating? Yeah. Or yeah. So yeah, when I'm commentating, it's 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 kind of like a, a weird position to be in. In terms of, 
So you, obviously, as a broadcaster, you're always impartial. So it doesn't really matter if the USA if the USA is playing South Africa. It's kind of funny because you know South Africa is my country of birth, and I was there for 25 years. But the rest of my life, I've been in America, and I played for the US Eagles. But it doesn't really matter to me. This is the best part of who wins because I I'm I'm calling it, or I am just a general enthusiast of the game, as you said. So I'm supposed more of a fan, and so like. A fan commentating is always going to highlight, obviously, what's going on, which is, I think, the best position to be in. Because I've heard some commentators in Australia uh, back in the day, they were quite Australian-based. Mm. And I understand the game's being shown in Australia, but generally the rest of the world's watching as well. And the other team is playing too. So I never was a fan of that. So it's always, for me, it's always like, I just get so excited because the game is so exciting. And that's why sevens is so cool to commentate. And 15s, yeah, I like doing 15s as well. But, you know, it takes a while to build up to some of the, the highlights, I suppose, where sevens is so easy to get you excited. And you're right, there's a bit more time to throw in a bit of flair. Plus the game, I feel like it's, like you'd say it's funner because more colorful, you know, because it's, it really is. Their fans are going wild and they're having a good time in the stands and so is the action. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there have been times where something has happened and I'm like, I don't quite have the words to describe it, which which is not ideal. Like I wish I'd, you know, had been a proper English major and like had all these different ways to say the same thing, right? Which is why you feel you, you see more and more journalists uh, coming into the lead voice because in in the commentary world you know generally three positions you know your your lead commentator and your analyst slash second voice who almost always is an inter former international player but not always does your lead voice have to be an international player it just happens to be that I have experience in the series which is why when I uh, long ago chatted to World Rugby they wanted to bring me on because they want more ex players involved which kind of makes sense they also wanted somebody that knew the American landscape pretty well and had a South African accent. So talk about, talk about, talk about ticking boxes. Where <laughs> so in other words, they just wanted right. you. <laughs> so it worked, it worked out. Like it's a perfect combination uh, of, of, of what they needed at the time. Cause again, South Africa being one of the, you know, top, top tier teams in the sevens world series. But yeah, so generally when I'm, I'm commentating, whether it's even 15s or major league rugby, I am, I am a massive, cause I am, I'm a massive fan of the game, particularly, you know, when something goes really well, uh, then it's like it's easy to bring that enthusiastic tone because I generally am excited about it. You know, like, it's kind of funny because it's like I was thinking the other day, like the other jobs you do are, you know, whatever it is, you do a regular job and it's there it is. It's, it might be very fairly similar or some of the circumstances change where being a sports commentator, particularly a rugby commentator, you know there's going to be action and you're not making it up. You know there's going to be an upset. You know there's – and if there's no upset, well, there's just a lot of good plays, good tackles, good runs, uh, good movement. So – it's kind of like it's a thrilling thing to be involved in because you really are in the center of the game uh, and the game is enthralling. Who who do you love to see? Is it Perry Baker streaking away? Is it Charlotte Kaslick playing for Aussie and carving things up and control? Uh, who who gets yeah, you off okay, your feet? So, so I like when the, under, when the team that's not meant to win wins. That's a r- real thrill because it's, it just, it's, like, it's like life, right? It's like, you want somebody that is put in the hard work and not to say the other team hasn't put in the hard work, but has overcome the odds. And in a traditional sense, you know, has people didn't necessarily think it would happen. And it does happen. I think those are the kind of the real stories that you love to see. So, um, so Ireland in the women's side have been fantastic this season. And I called a couple of times when, you know, they've knocked teams out in the quarters and the semis and they got their first ever cup final. Like yeah. that was thrilling. Like, I, you know, obviously, as you said, you're impartial, but like I was, I was hoping they would win because they've never won before. And that's the kind of thing. It's not that I was not supporting Australia in the final. They had brilliant players and they ended up winning in the end. But you you kind of want those highlights to happen. So 
you know, the Irish men's side making their first cup final. Like that was just glorious. I love Fiji. Fiji have played the most exciting rugby. It's very hard to commentate because the ball gets shifted across five every one second. A new player has the ball. Uh, so that was say is tough to, to announce. But you, you you want those upsets. You want those star players to come through as well. Obviously, Perry Baker uh, and Alona Ma, those, you know, U.S. Eagles carving up. That's lovely to watch and, and so amazing for, for the American fans as well, you know. But anytime there is an upset on the cards or some or big moments, um, you know, even if it's at the expense, uh, you know, of, you know, my my two countries that, that you know, that I'm members of, uh, it, 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 to me, it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's I'm not worried to, to per se who who's going to win the tournament, that sort of stuff. But, for example, the series coming up, I'll put this on record. Argentina to win the series would be amazing. What a story because they've never won the HSBC World Rugby Series series and I'd love to see that and and have been a part of that for the whole year. And, you know, uh, Australia too. Australia are like right up there as well. But I, I the reason why I love the Argentine story is because I have personal connections with Santi Gomez Cora as a, you know, friend and former player going against him and, and his teammates and stuff like that and met his son type thing. So you have these connections in the sport that you mentioned that, you know, has you rooting for them just to, if they do well amazing if they don't then of course it's another t- another team's chance to uh, shine you know it it must be i don't know if you've ever thought like this but it must be quite an honor to be the soundtrack to some of these things that are going to be monumental in that person's life uh, you know it might it's a passing comment for you in the job that you do and you mm. you pass however many comments in the course of a series but that one time that player scores the try, that's the YouTube clip they're going to share with their, their grandkids. Or, you know, do you ever think in that big terms or are you just doing what's in front of you? Yeah, so you, 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 you do do what's in front of you. But but I have a side story there. So when I was playing, my name, my last name is Stanford, which is a, there's a famous college in the US called Stanford. It's quite an easy name per se. If you look at the Polynesian names and they're very, you know, tongue twisting. So... I was called three different names when I played, which is, I'm like, how do you mess that up? So Stanford became Staniforth. Um, it became oh, Stanford yeah. uh, and, and something else along the line. Now, my first name should be hard. Dallin, which is my parents mix their names together, David and Helen. So the DA from David and the Lynn from Helen. So that is harder. Dallin, sure. Dalen, maybe, but Stanford. So, so I remember. So your, your parents were doing Bradgelina long before <laughs> Bradgelina. I love it. A long time ago. Now, my sister tells the story where she's like pissed about it because she's like, her name was Melissa. So she just got a regular name where at least mine was mixed together. <laughs> so I have that joke with her. I should about that. But yeah, so I remember commentary when I first became into broadcasting. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get everyone's name right, but I'm going to try my best to get as many correct as possible. If I can speak to the players themselves, the management, the coach, so I can at least get my biggest thing is saying the names correctly because I know what it's like as a player. You know, you've got this one or two cool moments in your career, but somebody called you the wrong name. Not ideal, right? Um, or or they didn't say your name at all. And you're like, hey, I just did that thing and you didn't, didn't say it, you know? Come on, I'm, I won't get that chance again. So particularly uh, on my bio sheets, you know, and we all do it as, as broadcasters, if somebody hasn't scored a try yet, like let's say on the series or internationally, it's it's like there's a highlight next to their name. So when they do score, you make a big moment about it, you know, what a special occasion is for their family and friends. Because I know that I would love that if it happened to me as well. So there are there are certain moments or a milestone, um, you know, someone scoring their 100th try or something like that. Um, not saying you prepare a line for it, but you, you're you aware of the milestone coming. So you're able to, on the spot, give it the, the recognition um, it, it deserves as, as well. But just to your point about 
you know, when you're in the moment, you're not thinking about the future, obviously. But uh, there was a time in South Africa, I was there for the Cape Town Sevens, and there was an advert on TV, and I heard my voice. And I'm like, hold on, what the hell is this? No one told me about it. So one of my lines, he's um, more dangerous than climate change, was on a South African TV <laughs> ad uh, for Supersport. And I'm like, well, firstly, surely, I mean, I, but I, they're not going to reach out and let you know, hey, you're on this. Um, but my friends obviously told me later they'd recorded for me. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. So, yes, you do hear your voice every now and again. Sometimes it takes you by surprise. Um, but yeah, it, that's an honor. It's an absolute honor if you are selected or at least you're on someone's couple of highlight clips. Uh, that's really fun, you know? Yeah, it's so cool. I just love it. If you were to, in your time machine, go back and there's 16-year-old Dallin in South Africa, what, what would you say to him? Uh, well, so, I mean, the, the, the great thing is, like I said to you, you know, in terms of, you know, having a positive outlook in life and having that as a young age. And again, I, I can't quite remember pinpoint how or where that came about because if, even with my mom's, you know, she would uh, be the Afrikaans teacher, as I said, and she would do a lot of like every year she had to do, uh, she had to mark all the papers, but that stressed her out. And I said to her, I said, listen, and this is so funny because I'm like as a young kid, you know, trying to tell my mom something. I'm like, okay, so you've done it every year. She goes, yes. I go, have you handed it in on time every year? She goes, yes. Uh, and she goes, well, I even get told by the, my other professors that I do the best job there is. I go, okay, so you've got the experience of doing it well. You should never be stressed about doing it again because you've already done it. it. It's something. So she was like, oh, I kind of understand, but I don't know if I'll be able to finish. I go, yeah, but you say that every year and you do finish and it's you do an amazing job. So why not take the stress out, right? Because then you're living it twice. You're living the stress of like it going through and then you'll live it again later. So, so anyway, so with that in mind, telling my 16-year-old self, it'll just be like you're on the right track. Keep 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 bringing positive energy out in the world um, you know keep keep you know living life the as you, to the to the best that you can and take every opportunity that comes your way because you know you never know if that opportunity won't come again and so yeah so i, I honestly as i keep saying so lucky with the amazing people around me but again the sport that allows you to do what you do and then you know people enjoying it because that's the thing if if you if i was broadcasting and someone's like you know what i don't like these i don't like this commentator and doesn't support the person then that would would have stopped my career so thankful to all the people that have enjoyed you know the uh, the broadcasting as well in recent times i love it i, I say that to my wife often when she's stressing about things that you did it last yeah. year you've done yeah, exactly. it you'll be fine and you always do an amazing job so just get on with it um, well by the way my, my wife tells me to stop commentating every move that you make by the way with, and i'm like hey i'm a commentator and so she does laugh she's like okay fair enough fair enough you, you can practice a bit more yeah i'm not one of your rugby players let, let me make let me make dinner without you commentating thank you yeah Brilliant. i love it and you you're also a podcaster which is just another mechanism i think for you to communicate your love for the game and and to connect with people you uh, here we go you ready for the pun you must get a huge buzz out of your <laughs> podcast i certainly do i certainly do thank you for the plug and that and and like you like you said you know the same as what you do you you chat to people that you know you're interested in or or, or you enjoy what they do the exact same thing so uh, during the pandemic uh, robin mcdowell a player i played against he played for canada sevens uh, we went head to head and he just called me up at the blue and he said dallin he says, would you be interested in us doing a podcast together and, you know, in North America? And I was like, that's a great idea. And I've been asked to do one long ago, but the timing wasn't right and I wasn't interested. 
Uh, but with him, him being a, a coach and he's got a lot of great connections as well, it's kind of awesome. We've got to chat to some of the, you know, some of our favorite uh, women and men, sevens and fifteens players and coaches, you know, over the years. And sporadically, we put it out. It's called the Rugby Hive, as you said. So uh, hopefully, folks are buzzing to go to it, the social media and check it out. Um, there we go. And 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 it's just fun, right? Because it's like you get to chat and chinwag and Aussie stories and particularly some like players who are their favorite sevens players of all time or 50s players or or any backstories like Brian Abana telling us a story when he was a young kid Francois Pinot gave him a rugby jersey that inspired him to carry on going like really cool stuff um you know that, that you kind of get to find out so yeah rugby hive is what it's called and like you i just love chin wagging and having a good time with, with the guests you know <laughs> <laughs> and the i mean you've done so much we we've hardly even touched the, the surface scratch the surface i think and I, I love talking to you 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 mentioned it earlier and i did want to ask you about this so you're you're not a teacher um you're you're a coach in some respect through the experience you've had but you, you said it earlier you went from 50 kids to 5000 kids and mm. you know you'll you'll belittle your role in that i think probably because you're a humble man but that that opportunity to get involved in something and to create an environment that people want to be part of and then you can get to the cultural part of the values that you've mentioned how important do you think that is in american society because it's it's kind of just what happens in south africa it's kind of just what happens in the scottish borders and in the valleys of wales and in new zealand and but how important do you think that role is in america at the moment yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good question and a good point you bring up. I remember being involved in it and being so excited about it because it was touching the lives of so many people. All those kids, you know, had one or two parents or grandparents that would come and support them or be involved in their lives. And I kind of felt that American society, uh, and again, most societies have obviously, you know, huge amount of issues uh, around. And so sport has a way of bringing people together. It also has a way of, you know, I suppose, helping young people um, become better. And, and and that's the great thing of what it provided. So one of the first things I did was I found the people I trusted in the community, young young college kids, uh, uh, men and women, that, that I could see were of good nature, good value, could be good role models for these young kids. And that, I think, was vital. So found these great people, um, trained them up, send them out into the communities, and they would be these mentors slash coaches of these young kids. And it was so great because I'd – Part of my job then was instead of me actually, you know, coaching the kids directly, I would then work with the mentors. But I go to these different uh, locations in Los Angeles and I would see how these young kids looked up, you know, to their coach, to, to, to their mentor. And that was very special. And 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 the fact that the, there was a sport design that they didn't know. This is the cool thing. If they, it was like, hey, we're going to do basketball. I was like, oh, I know basketball. I'm not good at it or whatever. Everyone's like, rugby, rugby. And they were like, you mad. And I'm like, what do you mean you're mad? They're like, oh, that's dangerous. I'm like, no, we're going to do flag rugby. And then someone comes to me and they go, you're not from South Africa. I'm like, I am from South Africa. You can't hear my accent. It goes, no, you're not because you're not black. And I go, oh, no, there are white South Africans too. And, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, oh, listen, I go, the, the beautiful thing is what, we, what we're talking about here is now you need to go back and look at South Africa and tell me a bit more about South Africa as a country and society. And they're like, oh, great. And then they came back and they're like, Nelson Mandela was your president. I go, yes. And he helped bring people together who might not have just agreed on things because of the sport of rugby. And they were blown away. They're like, and we're playing rugby now. I go, exactly. And now we're going to go play against all these other schools from different walks of life and different societies. So the whole goal of the program was then to bring all these kids together, which was amazing. So you've got these kids from Malibu, you know, and then you've got these kids from East LA, everyone playing the same game against each other. Um, and the, the main thing I think for us was, as you said, society-wise is helping the parents and helping 
you know, the other staff at the school understand that while this is a game, the most important part is not the winning and losing. That's irrelevant. It's how we bring ourselves together and how after how we react after a loss uh, is very important. How we react after a win is very important um, and how we can lift each other up, knowing that you've got the next task at hand, which mimics life. So you're so right. Society here needs it, especially um, to to also for the young kids to have confidence, um, to know that, you know, there's more to life than winning and losing per se. Um, but it's about being a good person, being a good teammate. Uh, and helping each other out. Uh, we could use that in every country in this world, uh, particularly in the US. And I know that when I do move back to California with, with, you know, with my wife, maybe at the end of the year or next year, um, that's a project I'm gonna get right back into because I think that's key. Uh, I saw it firsthand with, with the young kids and the parents particularly would come to me afterwards and say, oh, now I understand what you're trying to do here uh, with this program type thing. Um, and, and again, it's all because rugby is a sport that can lend itself to showcase those values. And another mic drop for a moment. <laughs> right, I, I'm going to try and keep this to two questions, um, but um, uh, who knows? What's the future then for rugby in America? Because there will still be towns and cities and neighbourhoods you could walk into. Dallin Stanford, the voice of rugby in America, US Eagle, and they won't have a clue who you are or what rugby is or where they can access it. There's a World Cup coming that is amazing. I, I want to be there. I've got to be there. But there will still be Americans oblivious to all those things you've just said that program is able to provide. What is the future for American rugby in the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years? Yeah, so look, I, firstly, it's it's a, it's amazing that the US has awarded the World Cup. And I love that it's it's quite early. So you're right. It's it's a good eight, you know, eight-year uh, pathway up until the men's World Cup and then the women's World Cup following after that. So, look, a couple of things. I think on the uh, competitive side of things, um, if you look track back, how Japan were really successful at their World Cup in 2019 on the playing side of things, they had their top league going for like 15 years or so, um, and, and they, you know, had a good mix of foreign players to help elevate their local game with their, their players as well, which Major League Rugby is doing as well. So. We're in year five now, so add another eight. So it'd be about 13 years Major Rugby would have had a proper decent runway. And who knows, 12 uh, American cities right now, one Canadian city, um, the areas get expanded where MLR plays. So I think that's important to have a good on-field product for the men's game. The women's game is in a good place as well. A lot of the women's Eagles are playing in, in the UK and doing really well, which is fantastic to see uh, amongst the best players in the world there. But I think... I think it's important in each community, like I said, in San Diego, like it was a hotbed in Texas when I lived there, there was so much rugby going on. It's the local people that aren't, you know, they're just coaching the young kids because let's be fair, a kid that plays in the World Cup, the next, when the US hosts, could currently be, you know, 12 years old uh, type thing. So you never know where these players come from, but they grow the game at, at the grassroots level and not focusing on the national team. They focus on just spreading the love of the game um, and, and having fun and, and doing something proactive and something, you know, um, uh, active as well. I think that's a very big thing about the US. We need people to be a bit more active as well. But the future of the game, I think the great thing is we're going to have more sponsors locked in now that we have a real World Cup to aim for. And that was one thing I always felt was missing in the American game was, well, we have these American sponsors that sponsor the All Blacks and involve other sports, but don't really get involved in rugby. And again, finances unlock many things that, that, that uh, uh, you know we are needed in the game um, to spread the game. The other thing is TV. Having rugby on television here in the U.S. is huge. So the fact that the sevens is now being broadcast a bit more, uh, the um, the fifteens and major rugby is being shown, so people can get to see what's going on is huge. Olympic Games, I don't want to discount that. The U.S. needs to medal at the next Olympic Games. So the men or women medal, and all of a sudden, 
you will have millions of Americans tuning and going, ah, what's that? And hey, that play is interesting. What a great story they have. They've defeated all the odds and here they are winning a, a medal for, for our country. So yeah, I think the future the future is bright. The future is as bright as it's ever been. I've been here now for almost 20 years and this is the most exciting time period we're living in now. Uh, it is the next decade. Uh, I can't wait to host you, Bruce. We'll sink some cold jars. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to have a brilliant time. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll follow the, uh, the Scottish team around as well. It's going to be epic. There's, there's so many good moments to come. So as I said, the best is, is yet to come. Dallin, people have made hollow things a uh, request like that before and I've taken them up on it. So be very careful. <laughs> be very careful. No, listen, listen, I, I, I love the, I love the, the Scots. I love sinking a couple of cold jars. And of course, you know, I love my rugby. So, um, I, I, again, I, I, this is an honest invitation. Um, they, they will, we'll make our, 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 like a touring group. We'll be like, these are the games we're going to and we'll sort it I'm out. In. I'm in. Yeah. Well, you look after Jordan Edmonds. On the next time you call yes. a try yes. by Jordan Edmonds, yes. you can say that's all thanks to Bruce Aitchison's coaching. Okay, so there oh, you go. Really? I'll, I'll give, oh, I'll give you that stat. one. I'll give there you that go. one, right? So I'll, I'm listening. When when Junior scores, he's, yes. he's known as Junior. Yes. When Junior yes. scores, I'm taking all the plaudits for that. Um, I would love to talk to you about Major League, but I'm otherwise we're going to be here for hours. Uh, so that I'm going to make a date, and I, I need you to come back because the Major League thing fascinates me, and there's yeah. superstars yeah. coming in, and and there's all sorts going on. That's that's for another day. Um, and there's the development of the game, and you're uh, Dallin. I've absolutely loved this. Has been such an enjoyable more than an hour, and and I love it. I did. I did say to you before you started, I was going to ask you one final question, and I'm intrigued as to where this is going to go. So, Dallin, for you, happiness is. Well, firstly, before I answer that, you you did tell me earlier on, but then we just carried on chatting, so I didn't yeah. really think about it too much. Okay, but let's go. Okay, tee it up again. Happiness is. Finish, a, finish this in. It's happiness is. A cold jar worth sleek sensational rugby friends <laughs> i need some sleek sensational rugby <laughs> friends <laughs> i don't think i don't think it's me i don't think i'm sleek particularly well, but I like well it. your hair is sleek your hair yeah, is, sleek, is very, you know? yeah. and from and from this chat i know you're a sensational human so you've got it all you've got you've got what it takes you've got to put it together ah, shucks you're <laughs> killing me man darling um Go out in the world and, and do what you do. Um, I would like everybody to be a little bit more Dallin. That's I think I'm gonna I'm gonna make a hashtag. Be more Dallin. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much for everything you do, pal. As I said, I felt like I know you from seeing you on social media for so many years. So I'm so glad we finally got to connect. Yeah. And I'm dead serious. When you do come to America, let's not wait until you know the Rugby World Cup. Uh, maybe we see each other in in Paris uh, for the Rugby World Cup coming up next. Uh, that would be fantastic. Deal. I'm sold. sold. (laughs) Thank you, my man. All the very best. See you soon. I love that guy. He is worth his weight and he is going out and he's making it happen. He's talking positively, spreading the gospel. And when people spread the gospel, others tend to follow. I think the world is a better place for Dallas Stanford. If you've enjoyed it, you can catch us on Apple, Acast, and Spotify. Tell your friends, please leave a review. Remember, be nice. And you can also watch on Facebook and YouTube. There's going to be more. We're, we're going to have them back because that is just too good to only taste once. He is magnificent. I'm beginning to think my happiness might be Dallin Stanford. My name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast. And for the moment, my happiness is still egg-shaped. I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. 
And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. It loves a circle with no end. Let's not talk about this last night. I just said happiness is egg-shaped. Wait, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.